Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be diving into the book of Joshua. I'm very excited about this uh, opportunity. I've never preached from Joshua, and it's, uh, it's not the easiest book to preach from because it lends itself to uh, allegorization. Uh, you can allegorize it, you can moralize it, you can generalize it. And so interpreting it properly uh, is, uh, is a bit tricky. So pray for me as I study, and uh, I'll try not to allegorize, moralize, or generalize. So I'm getting that from a lecture I, I watched on Joshua and, and got some warnings about the directions we shouldn't go. But the book of Joshua has a lot to say to us on this side of the cross as we uh, seek to enter into that rest that we've been talking about, and I'll tell you more about that in, in a moment. And here in chapter 1 of Joshua, we kind of have a, a, a prelude, some preliminaries are set down so that we can see what's coming next in the story, and we are introduced here to uh, Joshua. Well, we're actually not introduced here. Joshua's, of course, was a big part of uh, Moses' uh, help. He was Moses' right-hand man, and, and when Moses uh, died, Joshua took over. So we'll pick up the reading here in chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all, that the law, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he is to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, 
All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Now some of you own land. I do not own any land, but I I once did. Uh, I inherited some land from my grandmother. The land was actually my father's inheritance, but he had preceded her in death, and so his portion, my father's portion, went to my brother and me. So I was a landowner for a short time. We inherited the land and then promptly sold it for the cash, which was helpful at the time. The book of Joshua is about inheriting land, land that was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12.1 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <clears throat> and then a little later on in verse 7 he says, The Lord has said, To your offspring I will give this land. He was in the land of Canaan at the time. And so he built there an altar to the, to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now that promise that was made to Abram, and later Abraham as his name was changed, uh, that was repeated to Abraham's son Isaac and to his grandson Jacob. And then Jacob's son Joseph, one of the twelve sons, he, when he was about to die, and they were in the land of Egypt, and he was addressing his brothers, he said, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. So he believed that promise as well. So there they were after Joseph living in Egypt, and of course that's when Jacob's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren multiplied greatly and in turn were oppressed by the Egyptians. And of course God then raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt and to the promised land. Well, they could have entered into the promised land in about two years, but on the Exodus, of course, as we read about in Psalm 95, or at least it alluded to in Psalm 95, these people, the first generation who left Egypt, rebelled against God, and and they were forbidden, as we read in Psalm 95, from going into their rest, into their inheritance, the land. They, God swore, they will not enter into my rest. So they wouldn't inherit the promised land, so they wandered around in the desert for 40 years until that first generation died off, until the second generation could, be, uh, could form and grow up a little bit. And, and that's where we come to Joshua. He's leading the second generation into the promised land. He's Moses' successor, and he's going to do this thing. And that's what the book of Joshua is all about, inheriting the land. And you can outline it. Uh, here's the outline of Joshua. Chapters 1 through 5 describes them entering the land. Chapters 6 through 12 describes them conquering the land. 
The, the battle of Jericho is there in chapter 6 and then some subsequent battles. And then 13 through 21 is them allocating the land. And then finally in chapters 22 through 24, it's about all about keeping the land or remaining in the land, what they need to do to be able to stay there in this inheritance that God has given. Now chapter 1 has a couple of themes, several themes that are going to be running through the whole book. And I'm breaking it down in three parts here. God's promise, God's person, and God's people. And we're just going to work our way straight through the text this morning. And I'm trying not to make it a running commentary. I want to make application. And I think it'll be clear as we go along. But first of all, we see God's promise in verses 1 through 4. God is fulfilling a promise that he made a long time before to Abraham. And it is imperative that we see that God is doing it. God is giving them the land. It's not something that they are necessarily doing on their own. God is giving it to them. And, and, and this comes through clearly in the text. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Verse 9, be strong and courageous, God tells Joshua, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 11, where he tells the people, prepare your provisions Go over the Jordan and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Verse 15, he tells the, the three tribes that are on the west side of the Jordan, the Lord, uh, you know, you'll help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the, of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. So, it's clear that throughout the book, and this is repeated throughout the entire book, that God is the one who is fulfilling his promise. He is giving them the land. He is allowing them to take possession of it. It is all for him and his glory. He is the one that accomplishes it. If you look at chapter 21, 43 through 45, this is after the land has been divided up between the Israelites it sums it up by saying this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Isn't that a wonderful text? Not one of God's promises ever failed. And the same is true today. God promised and he cannot lie. And we have a promise. We have an inheritance. We just finished studying the book of Hebrews, but you remember the book of Hebrews talks about Joshua and entering into the land. In chapter 4, he's, he, he's actually, the writer of Hebrews is actually commenting on Psalm 95 
uh, that latter part that we read in our call to worship. And he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He's talking about that first generation that did not show faith. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he points a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So the point he's making is that in Psalm 95, it was written a long time after Joshua had led them into the promised land. And David is saying in his psalm, today... If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did, but you can enter into his rest. And David is in the promised land. He's writing it from Jerusalem. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's another rest. It's not that land. It's not the promised land. There's something more that God has for us. A greater inheritance for all of us, including Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The writer of Hebrews goes on. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He goes on and says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's prepared for them a city. He's prepared for us a city to inherit the kingdom of God that the New Testament says so much about that we can inherit. Paul said in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children of God, just like Jesus was, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're going to inherit something, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God has a promised rest, an inheritance for us. And he will keep his promise. He will get us there into the promised land. The new heavens and new earth, ultimately. But we have that inheritance that we can look forward to. And God will hold us fast as we sing. He will not let us fail we should trust in him and seek to enter that rest. So that's God's promise. And 
Joshua is just demonstrating for us how faithful God is to provide for his children and never forgets a promise that he's made. The second thing we see here is God's person. And in this case, it's specifically Joshua that we read about in verses 5 through 9. If you look at verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, if you, you can read that, of course, in English, we don't, uh, you know, we can say you and, and it can mean you all. Uh, but this is Hebrew, uh, and that it's singular. It's you individually, Joshua, not the children of Israel, not the people of God. He's not talking about all the people of God. He's just talking about Joshua here. He's not saying y'all, as we say here in the South. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So he, he's telling Joshua, he's commissioning Joshua. Now Joshua has really already been commissioned. If you flip back a page to Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy 34, verse 9 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. That had already occurred, where God said to Moses, bring Joshua here. Joshua had already been his assistant all throughout the Exodus, and there was a commissioning service earlier. And it says, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses, and there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and wonders that the Lord has sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So Moses was great. Can you imagine the consternation of the people of Israel when he died? And here they are, still in the wilderness. But God is faithful. He provides another man to come, Joshua. He's not as great as Moses, uh, according to Deuteronomy 34. But God is with him, as he says here in verses 5 through 9. And, and Joshua, of course, is going to be strong and courageous, and he's going to obey God's law. See, Joshua's obedience to the law, his strength and courage were required so that he could secure the inheritance for God's people. That's what it said there. You shall, verse 6, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So it was through Joshua. And then when you get to Joshua 11, after the conquest is over, Joshua 11:23 it says this, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments and the land had rest from war. See, Joshua was God's warrior to secure the inheritance for his people. 
And, of course, Joshua is a type of Christ. We talk about typology when we're looking at the Old Testament. There are certain things in the Old Testament that point us to Christ, that foreshadow Christ. Joshua is one of those. Joshua is a type of Christ. In fact, the name Jesus is Greek for Joshua. Yahweh saves. Yeshua. Jesus is the divine warrior who secures an eternal inheritance for God's people. He is the one who who is the rider on the white horse, faithful and true, and in righteousness judges and makes war. He is the one who has the name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in him, Paul says, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, Jesus, through his perfect obedience, he always obeyed the book of the law. He did not turn to the right hand or to the left, but was careful to do everything written in it. Through his obedience, he secured eternal inheritance for his people. Jesus was perfect in every way. Every time he encountered someone, he always loved them perfectly. He always loved his heavenly Father perfectly. And that's where we sin, right? We sin when we don't love God or don't love others. We either do it by doing something rebellious, sins of commission, or we don't do what we should do. We don't show love. We don't show love to God or to others. And that's where we fall short. But Jesus never fell short. He was perfectly righteous. And through his life and death, particularly in his death, he, he bore our sins on the cross. He became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His perfect righteousness is credited to all who put faith in him. And he takes our sins and bore them on the cross, fighting for us there, bearing the sin. And we have an inheritance in Christ because he was strong and courageous for us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So God has promised and God has raised up a person to secure that inheritance for us. Now let's look finally at God's people. There's uh, throughout this book, you're going to see uh, a lot of already and not yet. You know, they do inherit the land, they do take possession of it, but there's still many battles to be fought. The next book, Judges, shows that. There's people still living in the land that need to be driven out. But God's people, back up, backing up to, well, we're backing up before we get to Judges, let's get through Joshua first, verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers to go around and say, 
Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You see, it wasn't just about being given the land. Now, I was given a, a field next to the house that I grew up in when I inherited uh, what I inherited that from my father, my grandmother, uh, and it was just an empty field, and I didn't have to do anything except fill out some paperwork. And uh, that, was, that was all that was required, and then I just had to mow it, which was a drag. But this land had to be possessed. They had to go into it and take possession of it. It wasn't just dropped in their laps. They had to go in. They had to occupy the land. They had to fight the battles of Jericho and Ai and so many other battles to drive out the people who were inhabiting the land that God had promised to give them. They had to take possession of it. Now when it comes to our eternal inheritance, God is giving it to us by grace. But there's a sense in, as the writer of Hebrews told us, chapter 4, strive to enter that rest. We need to make sure we're taking possession of that rest, that we are in possession of it, that we are those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Are you one of those people that's going to inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says a lot about that. Those who will and will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to make sure that we are going to enter that rest. And of course, all it requires is that we put our faith in the man that God has provided, Jesus Christ. He's done it all for us. To follow him and to live by faith and trusting in him. So to take possession of it is what God's people are called to do. To live by faith, trusting in him. And we need one another. In verses 12 and following, we have this account of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, when they were getting towards the end of the Exodus, they came to the Jordan River, and these three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, said, Moses, this, this land is great, and we're just happy to settle here. We don't really want to cross the Jordan and go into the Promised Land. And, and Moses, of course, there was a bit of controversy there, but Moses agreed to that granted them that land, but made them promise that when we do cross the Jordan, you're going to have to send your fighting men over to make sure your brothers, the other tribes, secure their land. And that's what's going on here. So Joshua is instructing the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land on the other side of the Jordan, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over arm before your brothers, and you shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land, of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you can return to your land. And they agree to that. And it's a great reminder to us that if we want to live by faith, we need one another. We need unity within the church. We need unity in the body of Christ. We need our brothers and sisters to help support us so that we can fight together. We can't do it on our own. We need, we need the encouragement. We need the iron sharpening iron. We need the gifts that other people have in the church. Other people in the church need your gifts, something that you uniquely 
have that you can offer that will help build up the body of Christ. And that's what the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh did. And as you read it, towards the end, you'll see that it's, uh, after all the battles are done, Joshua gives them permission to go back home. And they do that. They've accomplished the, the, the feat of driving out the nations. Well, in conclusion, I want you to think about that inheritance, the kingdom of God. And, and especially the fact that Jesus Christ has secured it for us and we just need to put our trust in him and, and set our hope on that eternal inheritance. Not on some piece of land that you might have or something this earth has to offer. You know, what are you living for? What is it that, that you really want out of this life? Well, this life is brief, as, as many of us are, are noticing as we get older. It's, go, it's rolling downhill and it seems like every year is going faster. And we're hurtling towards death. I hate to be Debbie Downer. Uh, on that, but it's true. This life does not go on forever unless you're part of the kingdom of God. Then it is an eternal inheritance. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our hope, an inheritance that is imperishable. It will never spoil. It's undefiled. There's no sin there, no sorrow, and unfading. It will never fade away. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the inheritance that you have for us. Thank you for the kingdom of God, uh, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Lord, we pray that everyone here today would be a part of that kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, grant us permission to be a part of that, to be citizens of heaven and to live as such. Lord, we pray that we would all know you, our heavenly Father, and as your children, that we would live as joint heirs with Christ and bear the family resemblance in all we do. Lord, wash away our sins, cleanse and renew us, and help us, Lord, again, to, to put our hope upon you and your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.